You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Angie from All Creatures Podcast. I have a very, very special guest today. Today, I'll be talking with Jill Robinson, who is a lifelong champion for animal welfare in Asia. And she is the founder and CEO of Animals Asia, which is an organization dedicated to ending the cruel practice of bear bile farming in Asia. And also, they work to improve the overall welfare of animals in China and Vietnam. So Jill will be joining me today from her office in Hong Kong, and I'm so, so happy that she agreed to this interview. When we covered sun bears a few weeks ago, I had to learn more about the practice of bear bear bile farming, and I'm so glad that Jill, who is an expert in this uh, field, agreed to be on the podcast. So hello, Jill. Are you there? Hey Angie, I'm here. Nice to talk with you. <laughs> I am see you too. We have all this amazing technology, so it's really, right. really across the across the time zones. And but it was pretty easy to schedule this interview because we're like 12 hours apart. So it's your morning, my evening, and I'm just so happy that you're here with me today. Yeah, me too. <laughs> And so I always like uh, our listeners to get to know you a little bit better. And if you'd be so kind, you have a very rich and amazing background. But could you give us some cliff notes on uh, how you got to where you are today? Oh, gosh. Well, I grew up in the UK for many years until I came out to Hong Kong in 1985 and um, gosh, I think my journey probably really started then, all those years ago, 35 years ago, I can't believe it. Um, but uh, I'd always loved animals when I was a child. Um, my auntie always used to tell me stories that I would um, I would cross the road, a main road, if I saw a dog or a cat opposite. And, um, you know, never mind the traffic. Um, and that's, I think, why my sister and I got reins to put on ourselves. So that was, you know, just to, they could drag me back from the road. Um, and it was, <laughs> it was just something that it was inherent in me before I could even say the word animal. And, um, I, you know, it, it just something that stayed with me ever since. So I went to school, of course, in the UK as well. Um, and during that time, I also used to work as a veterinary surgeon during the school holidays um, and in the evenings. And I also worked at a category, cattery as well. So caring for cats that had been brought in as, as boarding animals when their owners went on holiday and things. And I just really wanted to get into the whole field of animal welfare. Um, but my father was never very, very keen. Um, he always wanted my sister and I to be secretaries. And so in a sense, that dream was dashed, you know, for a great many years. And, and you know, I had a, a lovely, rich experience um, working for the BBC and for Thames Television throughout, you know, my, my early 20s until, as I say, I came out fortuitously to Hong Kong in 1985 with my then husband, who was an airline pilot. And I suddenly, you know, one day I, I met someone who on the beach who was walking his cat 
And it turned out that he was the Asia representative of the International Fund for Animal Welfare. And I'd always supported I4 back in the UK, raising funds and things for them. Um, and, you know, we just got talking to him and his wife. And, and, and he just said, you know, if you'd like to volunteer, um, which, of course, I did want to. And then I went on to take over his role when he and Alex, his wife, left Hong Kong a couple of years later. And the rest, as they say, is history. I started working with I4 for about 12 years before I had a, a really, a goodness, life-changing experience, I would, I would say, when I went to visit a bear bar farm in China yeah. in 1993. Well- Wow. And that's, well, first of all, that's one amazing, fateful beach event with uh, the gentleman walking his cat and meeting you. Right. How how cool. It was meant to be, obviously, right? Right. And, right. and then it led you, as you mentioned, to a bear interaction that pretty much changed your life and led you to where you are today. So do you want to share that story with us? Yeah, sure. Um, well, you know, that was at the time that I was sort of as I say, working as a, as a consultant with I4. And I was doing a lot of undercover work in the awful live animal markets of China, the Philippines, South Korea, and really having my eyes opened to the horrible, vile, egregious cruelty that was, you know, levied on these on these pitiful creatures as they were, you know, merged into a melting pot of, of disease and death in these markets. Um and so I was doing a, you know, a ton of stuff on traditional medicine at the time as well, just a lot of research papers. Um, and I suddenly got a call out the blue from a friend of mine who was a journalist, and he'd just come back from visiting a bear bar farm in China. And he just said, Jill, you have to go and visit one of these places. And my interest was piqued. I knew a little bit about bear farming, but not much. And so I grabbed a couple of my friends. We went over the border into China. Um onto a bear bar farm. We joined a group of Japanese and Taiwanese tourists. Um, and at that, t- you know, you were really only shown places like the shop, the breeding bears, everything that was very sanitized, you know, with the industry. But again, because I'd spoken with my journalist friend, I knew where they were keeping the bile extraction bears. And so my friends and I snuck away from the tourists. We went downstairs into a basement and we found 32 moon bears in tiny wire cages that had obviously been milked of their bile, extracted of their bile through these awful crude catheters um, in their abdomens that led into their gallbladders. And um, and I, I just remember being so shocked and so speechless with what I saw. And as I was walking around, I must have backed too closely into one of the cages and I felt something touch my shoulder. And of course I was completely shocked because I thought I was just about to be hurt. And I turned around and, and there was a female moon bear with her paw through the bars of the cage. And again, I knew nothing about the species of Asiatic black bears. And I did something so stupid that I I still to this day can't believe that I did it. Um, (laughs) Um, but her paw was there. And so I just took it and she didn't hurt me at all. She just squeezed my fingers and it was like a lightning bolt went through me. And, and I just knew, I just knew from that second that everything about my life was going to change. And and I have to say, you, you don't do something like that with bears. We've, we've rescued over 600 bears since that time, 632 bears. And the last thing you would do would be taking a bear's paw under those circumstances when they are so violently aggressive and afraid as they've every right to be. But that one bear, she didn't display any aggression towards me. As I say, she just, her warm paw just squeezed my fingers. Um, and from that 
seconds. Um, I knew I'd never see her again, but that one bear began the dream of the China bear rescue and the end of bear farming in, in, in Asia. And that's exactly what happened. Wow, that is so incredible. Uh, I should have gotten my Kleenexes out before I uh, heard that story because I, I have goosebumps and I'm just, I, I've had, I've been blessed enough in my life to have uh, several animal interactions, not, not under those, thank goodness, not under those horrific conditions, but animals do really communicate their feelings and it sounds like you're in the right place at the right time and, uh, Obviously, it sets your life under motion, and we're gonna throughout this podcast. We're gonna talk about the numbers of bears that you've rescued and what your organization does. Is just like I said. I mean, the hair on my arms right now are standing up. It's just, it's just <laughs> so inspiring. Uh, yeah. But before we dive into that, for our listeners out there uh, that maybe aren't as familiar with bear bio farming and uh, what it is. Can you give us a little history of it in Asia, like which bears are used and why bile? Yeah. Gosh, well, um, bear bile farming began in the early 1980s um, in North Korea, and then it moved across into China, where the practice was then learned. Um, It's now a practice, an industry where thousands of bears are kept on bear bar farms in China, in Vietnam, in Laos, um, in Myanmar, in, North, in, sorry, in South Korea. Um, but it is dying out in a lot of the countries. So, of course, happily in Vietnam, it's, you know, we've come to the end of the industry there. Um, in South Korea, there are probably only around five or six hundred bears that are now sort of caught up in the middle of a, a lobbying procedure between the farmers and the government where where the extraction of bile is now illegal. So we're sort of coming to the end of it there as well. Um, and in China, it's still a legal industry, but it's it's, you know, where bears are literally you know, surgically mutilated um, for their bile, which is used in traditional medicine, um, despite the fact that it can easily and cheaply be replaced by herbs and by synthetics. I think one of the things to your listeners, which would be very surprising, is when I say that bear bile works. Um, we've known that for many, many years. In fact, the synthetic alternative to bear bile um, is synthesized across the world by the ton and used if you have chronic liver complaints for example, yeah. um, you would be using the synthesized version of bear bile because bile, bear bile contains ursodeoxycholic acid or UDCA, um, which is which works. It's as simple as that. Well, and that's what I found so interesting in uh, researching for this interview and for uh, the podcast about sun bears is that traditionally when we talk about uh, taking animal parts for Asian medicine, of course, rhino horn and things like that, there's no scientific evidence out there at all uh, that the keratin or any molecule from rhino horn does anything uh, to help people in a health or physical way with their ailments. So it was shocking and a little bit different to me to see that this the molecule you mentioned, what is it, Yursa? Ursodeoxycholic acid or UDCA. It's a bile yes, acid. I'll let, I'll let you say it. You're the professional. <laughs> but the but that it, it that it is it is it is uniquely found in bears and it and it does serve some health purposes, but it can be synthesized. It can be made, and right. it's it's just so 
crazy to me that that anybody would want to even take it from a bear knowing how it's collected and maybe without going to too, too much details, but uh, to, for our listeners, if you can maybe ex- explain how it is collected that the bears live, they live a long time in these horrific conditions, correct? Well, they can do. They can do. Every bear like us is an individual. Um, so it depends. Some of them obviously succumb quite quickly to the ravages of infection that will ultimately come as a result of their diseased bodies. And as I say, the, the surgery to create a fistula or a hole in the abdomen and the gallbladder so that bile can, as I say, freely drip out. That's the method in China. And in Vietnam, it's a different method where they drug and restrain the bear. Um, with illegal ketamine Um, and then once the bear is is unconscious or in fact not always fully unconscious I have to say with that illegal drug um, they then get an ultrasound believe it or not and they will locate the bear's gallbladder with the ultrasound and they'll grab a six inch spinal needle and put that down into the gallbladder they'll take the needle out of the sheath they'll very often lick the needle to make sure that they've reached the bile because it's a bitter tasting fluid and then when they're reassured they've reached the gallbladder they'll put the needle back into the sheath and into the gallbladder and pump out about 100 ml of, of, of bile so either way whatever method is used it's still highly invasive into the abdomens of those uh, of those animals um, and ultimately causes a, you know a, a whole raft of diseases a whole raft to them and every bear that will have had bile extraction will ultimately die as a result of bear bile farming. Well, and then I was reading too about is are they the crush cages? Can you maybe explain those a little bit? Right. Well, these are in effect to you know to to you know render the bears immobile um, so that the 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 operants can go under the cages and you know take a, a, a an implement like a sort of metal straw and punch it through the membrane that is trying to heal and so that the bile will drip out into a bowl um it, it i mean it, i you know the bears that we've rescued I, the catalog of injuries and disease i can't you know i can't overemphasize it's you know we have the bears dying of liver cancer we have them with eye problems as a result of banging their heads against the bars of the cage or because of the poor nutrition that they receive on the bear bar farms uh, their teeth are often a disgrace because they engaged in bar biting and so they will shatter their own teeth as a as a you know result of trying to get free of those cages their mobility is terrible because they've laid prone in these cages for many many years so they have you know arthritis they have spondylosis of the spine um they they're obviously in such gross pain chronic pain throughout their lives and it's our job as we say to mend these broken bears Um, but it's a long hard haul when we do rescue them because they need a lot of um, intervention uh, you know physically and psychologically Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's just incredible. I mean, you, you experience this as a young person traveling and living and wanting to do better for welfare. And you see this with your own eyes, the bear touches your hand, which once again, for our listeners out there, you don't want to do that. (laughs) Um, but, uh, and then you come home and, can you walk me through how you started and what some of the missions and goals are of your organization, Animals Asia? 
Sure. Um, well, I think, you know, the reason for starting Animals Asia was, of course, to address bear bar farming. We wanted to be recognised as a local group with, you know, local people founding it. And so, you know, I, I had a couple of friends and my ex-husband then as well. So we've lived in Asia for a long time. Um, Boris Chow, who's still with us to this day, is, you know, American Chinese and has led the end bear bar farming programme all these years. Um, and we we started it with three main goals was obviously to end bear bar farming to look at the issues for captive animal welfare and try to improve you know their existence in the awful zoos and safari parks across the asia continent um and also look at the dog and cat industry as well predominantly in china and in vietnam um and so you know it was a gosh it I can't really believe how these years have unfolded as they are. But one of the things I think in China that I learned very, very quickly is that there is a whole generation of people there who absolutely love animals. And I, I do get sick to death of people that write the whole country off as being egregiously cruel. It's absolutely not true. There are now, when I began, there was one animal welfare group and now there's over 200 animal welfare groups. So we work with the majority of them. Awesome. Um, you know, yeah. We, right. We bring them together in the same room for conferences and symposiums and together with government officials so that we can talk about the, you know, the main issues out there and the solutions together that we can use to fix the problems. Um, I started a program many years ago called Dr. Dog, which sees dogs going to hospitals and disabled centres now in seven countries of Asia. But the countries where it works best, I would say definitely, you know, it, it, it's China, China and Hong Kong. It, it's just amazing to, because, you know, China is very evidence based, very science based. And so they want to see the paperwork. They want to see things like the Lancet and the British Medical Journal that proves that dogs are good for our physical and our psychological um, health. Um, they want to experiment and bring these dogs into hospitals and disabled centres and homes for the blind and the deaf and children and the elderly. And once they see that it starts working this starts off a whole new ballpark of interest if you like that dogs are good for our mental and our physical health it, it, it's just the most incredible thing to see doctors and nurses now promote dr dog it's a great thing to see them promote um to see school teachers promote something that we've got now called professor pause that sees dogs going into schools to teach children to enhance their reading disabilities in china as well and just to see teachers across the country of China tripping over themselves to have Dr. Dog's visits. And if we can't visit, you obviously can't visit every school and university in the country, but we can. Um, we've got a film called um, Dogs and Cats Around Us. And, you know, we can send that to the schools and universities now instead. And this, you know, things like this is a, is a very good tool um, you know, to, to show children and adults, not just the fact that we benefit from being in harmony with dogs in our community, but also is able to tell the public to be careful and to look after their dogs and protect their dogs. Because as we know that the majority of dogs for the food industry in China are those that are stolen from people's homes and from the streets. So, you know, the DVD that we send across the country can be multi-use and have a lot of components, including how to look after your dogs properly, or to children that don't know dogs, how to approach them safely in the streets, how to recognise their body language, so that, you know, not to approach them if they recognise that the dog obviously doesn't want a friendly pat on the head. Um, it's all these components that just build up holistically in China 
how we connect with dogs and cats. And then, of course, as a result of that, other animals too in society and create a generation of animal ambassadors. Yes, Jill, that resonates so much because we always talk about on the podcast how education is key. And studies have shown that even if conservation groups come in and want to protect a species, let's say the zebra and the grubby zebra in Kenya, that getting the local people on board, obviously the adults, but even more so the children, helps those conservation organizations be so much more effective with the people buying in on it and actually changing their behavior and their thought practice. And so I know sometimes as Westerners, we want to go in and just say, this needs to be changed or right. this. And, <laughs> and I've interviewed enough people on the podcast to know that that's exactly the wrong way to do it. Right. And right. that a lot of it starts grassroots and grounds up and through education. And then of course, for I was just like you, a lot of my passion from animals came from not necessarily these exotic wildlife, but just from the dog and the cat that I grew up with and then horses yeah. and bunnies and then chickens. And right. then, it, then it ended up in rhinos and <laughs> yeah, zebras right. and other things right. like that. And so right. you have to, you know, you have to start somewhere and, and it's just so amazing that you have all of these partners and on our show notes, uh, Jill's bio and her organization, uh, we won't be able to do it justice today on this podcast because of all of her endeavors and all all of her partners and how much you've, I mean, you've grown incredibly since the inception of Animal Asia. How much staff do you have and what countries are you located oh, in? Oh, gosh. <laughs> I mean, I can't believe it myself. Yeah, we have over 300 staff now across the world. It's 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 incredible. Um, you know, and we're not really we're not a huge organisation. I mean, the majority of those staff obviously are our fantastic bear carers on site at both of our sanctuaries now in China and Vietnam. So that's the majority. But we have wonderful satellite fundraising offices in there in the US, um, in the UK. Um, and in Australia, of course, as well as Hong Kong, China and Vietnam. So we are blessed. You know, we call it the Animals Asia family. And I, I really mean that. You know, we have long, long standing staff that have been with us for many years that I think are just so inspired by the, you know, with the progress that we're seeing now in the East. It, it's just amazing. And, you know, you raised a good thing about the children. You know, I, I again, to see those kids going back to their parents, this is the main thing you know, that, that, that they are now little experts in, in sort of animal therapy and animal connection. And they talk to their parents about the fact of, you know, how important it is for rabies control, you know, in the country with the second highest incidence of rabies in the world. You know, they are educated, these kids, to understand about rabies and the importance of vaccinating your animals as well. You know, so, so this is not just sort of some fluffy little program. It's a very science-based program as well. That, that ultimately will help the local authorities in rabies control too, because people are much more inclined to be responsible um, cat and dog owners as well. Yeah, that's just so amazing. And you mentioned it just a, a second ago briefly, but I definitely want to spend a little bit more time on some of the bear sanctuaries that Animals Asia has opened. Could you talk about uh -huh. that a little bit? 
Thank you. Yeah, well, some, two. <laughs> well, That's got, more actually, than one. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, we've got, two, we've got one in Chengdu in Sichuan province in China, and then we've got the other one in Tandao National Park, which is just quite near Hanoi in Vietnam. But we're also working on what was an ex-bear bile farm in China as well, with 108 bears there, um, and hoping to move those 108 bears over to our sanctuary in Chengdu very, very soon. We hope later on this year. Um, so, you know, this has been quite a journey and, and, you know, when we first started, oh my gosh, you know, what we knew about bears, you could write on a postage stamp, you know, and today our learning curve is, is totally vertical. Um, and we're very, very proud actually, I have to say, because I'm talking to you in the US, um, that we've won the Global Federation of Animal Sanctuaries Award, um, for both of our sanctuaries and, and you have to jump, well, you probably know that more than anyone, Angie, you have to jump through a lot of hoops to get some something like that a lot and a lot you know, yes are, it is yeah. yes it is not just given away no 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 yeah no, the, the no. one thing the US is known for is our um policy hoops to jump through and red tape so yes yes <laughs> i mean that's a great honor and um yeah. it's just so, well, we have protocols for protocols, you know, I mean, the whole san- the sanctuaries are run with infinite detail, I can't tell you, because one, you know, one error, one error when you're working with such a, you know, a massive, intelligent, charismatic and very strong and unpredictable mammal, you know, is that you've got to keep your staff and the bears safe and visitors, of course, at Absolutely. all times. So, you know, as I say, we've sort of really gone, you know, almost over the top on this, but we're very proud we have because it's something that we can show as, a, as an example, if you like, for proper management and biosecurity protocols to, you know, the world, in fact, not just the communities where we work, but, but people everywhere that this is the right way to keep bears. If you have to, if you have to rescue them, I'm not a, I'm not a great believer in, I'm not a believer in keeping captive animals for, for, for their, you know, for the sake of keeping captive animals. I have to say, I'm not a great fan of, especially, you know, such charismatic animals like bears. Um, but, but you just certainly under rescue circumstances where you can't do anything else. Um, there's, yeah, there's so much you can do and learn from. Yeah. And can you uh, share with our listeners and myself what is it like to watch a bear that was on a bio farm transition into a free life for the most part in a sanctuary? Oh my gosh. It's indescribable. Someone came many years ago and said that it was food for the soul watching our bears go out, you know, in the mornings. And it, and it just is, you know, you've got bears that are, as we call them, our broken bears. When we rescued them, they are depleted mentally and physically in in ways that I think are you, you again you cannot describe um they are hurt they're in pain they're suffering psychologically and and it's a long 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 road to get them back on the road to recovery and again thank heavens for our amazing teams in China and, and Vietnam and 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 you know our local teams as well that understand these animals so so beautifully well and, and get enormous pride from working at our sanctuaries as well, as we have enormous pride in employing them. Um, 
so the bears themselves, you know, once they've had the pain taken away, once they've had their gallbladders removed, once they've had teeth repaired, once they're on drugs to deal with problems of, you know, their heart or their mobility, um, you know, once they've got good food that they're enjoying and once their condition of coats and bodies becomes, you know, remarkable again, um, you know, you can start integrating them with other bears and, you know, even though bears are not predisposed to being social in the wild, as we know so much, um, you know, in sanctuary situations, you can see that they make lifelong friends. You know, they the boys especially will play together in what we call bear bundles of play. Um, I mean, we had we had a bear called Oliver in China that we rescued several years ago, and he'd been caged for 30 years of his life, three decades of his life. and um, that rescue in itself was astonishing because we had so much help from everybody in China. It was a, it was a three day rescue on a truck. We had we got stuck in a traffic jam for twelve hours. We were with um, we, we with the police. We were with the traffic people. We were with local hospitals because we had to do surgery along the road. Believe it or not, but people from China rose up and helped us with this bear. Oliver in major abdominal surgery we finally got him back to the sanctuary um and and we finally got him outside in an enclosure and you know he was a bear that needed a lot of medication um you know for his pain and and he had a very strange gait obviously being caged for so long he hadn't walked properly um but he walked out into that grass like like I I would say like a wind-up toy. It was very strange. He was unco- very uncoordinated. Right, like know what is to- this grass? <laughs> yeah, oh, I like it. What is it? Right, yeah. right. But he became a bear that, you know, just became used to the pleasures of a very simple life. He would just love to lie in the grass and the clover, for example. That was always my favorite image of him with his nose sniffing in the clover. He'd love to potter around looking for food that we'd hidden for him. We didn't even make it easy for him um, because he's a bear, you know, he's a bear's forage. So, you know, they we wanted to encourage his foraging instincts. We loved the fact that he loved going in his swimming pool every day. Um, and blowing bubbles like a crocodile and and you know he and we love the fact too that he wouldn't put up with any nonsense you know if he had a wound that needed top <laughs> topical treatment like a little spray of, of antibiotic um oh my gosh he antiseptic I mean he would huff and and lash out at us you know and you go all right Oliver sorry you know you'd step back and you'd give him his piece and and you know he he just he just became a bear that um he made everybody cry, I have to say. Everyone that saw him cried because they just remembered what they'd been doing for the last 30 years of their life. And we managed to keep him for four springs and four summers and give him at least happy days wow, for the time yes. he had left. <laughs> Some peace for sure. Oh, so yeah. beautiful. And you mentioned and just describing the transport and the coordination to get him out uh, and bring him to a sanctuary. And you said you had obviously police and a lot of the Chinese working with you. And so my next question is, does the majority or the general public in China and Vietnam, do they want bear farming to end or is it, or what is, what are, what is the general consensus yeah. over there? 
yeah, I mean, we've never had anyone that's come to any one of our sanctuaries saying that, oh, no, no, we think bear farming should continue ever over these last, you know, 20 years or so. So it's, you know, that that's the one the one thing. I mean, there's a very different landscape in China and Vietnam. There are a lot of people there that very much respect and revere conservation and animal welfare. And we're very blessed to be working with people now, you know, whether they're government officials, whether they are celebrities, whether they are schools and universities, um, you know, academics, general public, whatever, you know, people, I think, have an enormous respect, as I said. Um, and I think especially now after COVID-19, you know, there, there are people that just want the whole wild animal trade to end. You know, surveys have been done and the majority of people in, in those countries for sure want the industry to end. So, you know, we're, we're, um, we're on a good trajectory now in Vietnam, especially where I'm, I'm really, really proud to say that we signed an MOU with the Vietnam government in 2017, an exclusive MOU with their to end bear bar farming once and for all by 2022. Oh, Jill, that is so incredible. I've got the goosebumps again. Uh, <laughs> for our listeners, can you explain what an MOU is? Oh, I'm sorry, a memorandum of understanding uh, with the government. Yes. So it's a, an official document with the government of Vietnam to finally bring this horrible practice to an end now in that country. And we've also signed an agreement with the Association of Medi Medicine practitioners as well, um, that they will no longer prescribe or sell um, bare bile by the end of this year as well. So, you know, with those two areas aligned now, you know, we, we feel that we're going to reach reach the, the goal for which we were founded, which, you know, not many NGOs can say that. And we're just so excited that we, we have reached that goal and we're determined to follow it through. Well, yeah. And that leads into my next question of where do the laws stand with the legality of bear bile farming. And, and so you mentioned that exciting MOU with Vietnam, but what about China and the legality in other countries? Yes, it's still legal in China, um, I have to say. Although, as I, as I said, again, you know, there's a great deal of interest in, in, in projects that we're doing to protect um, Asiatic black bears in the country. And, you know, interestingly enough, there is also a great... Um, push forward now with a, a very big pharmaceutical company that was previously taking half of the country's bear bile um, for, for, for use in its, its medication and is now in the final clinical stages of testing a, 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 a mirror image, a synthetic alternative to that as well. So, you know, I, again, I think there's great change happening um, in China too. You know, I think, again, the, the, the country is really recognising now and, and looking very seriously at the use of wild animals. We know that live animal markets have closed down. The use of wild animals for consumption has ended. Um, so, you know, we're, 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 we're hoping to sort of positively push things like that forward so that we can really protect bears in every sense of the word where they still exist in the wild in China as well. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a wave coming. And I really think, I really hope that uh, as far as the, the wildlife trade and wet markets and things like that, that this this momentum that the whole world has been thrust into due to COVID-19 can continue to grow and grow. Right. And as you mentioned, uh, work towards keeping the wet markets and wildlife trade in general away and making it illegal. And I didn't know as far as wet markets are sun and moon bear parts also 
part of the wet markets too? No. Is it? Is it? No, absolutely okay. not. And and we should draw a distinction between live animal markets and wet markets. Wet markets are very common and don't generally don't have wild animals. You know that we've got wet markets here in Hong Kong. You know, and they are it's, it's yeah because that just project. means that they. Yeah, it's a it fresh just means produce that there's like market. fresh produce, right? And they hose right. it down, right? That's what makes it wet, right? Okay, exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. But live animal markets are a very different thing, and that's where you find the, you know, the legal and the illegal wild animals that are being sold. So, um, you know, I, and I think again, as I say, the government's made very good steps on that to close those down and to ban the consumption of wild animals as well. They've also, interestingly, maybe to your to your listeners, um, in Zhuhai and Shenzhen, banned the consumption of dogs and cats. Um, and there's now um, a draft regulation out there that is being worked on that looks like it might remove dogs and cats from the livestock um, list as well. So it looks after all these years that our second founding goal is now going to be reached and that is the end of dog and cat consumption in China as well so we are absolutely thrilled with the intelligence and the you know the the cautionary approach that the Chinese government are taking now in removing these animals from the dinner plates oh that's just so incredible I'm gonna do my little hand clap that's so exciting (laughs) and and I mean you've worked so hard for so many years and I do think that we're on this collective movement as um as a, as a generation. And now, especially with our global interconnectedness through social media and all of these and education that there's so much, so much room for growth and expanding and, and evolving. And I'm so happy that organizations like Animal Asia, it was on the ground, boots on the ground, uh, <laughs> knocking on people's doors, doing those emails, probably before there was even emails and, uh, right. and making all... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and yeah. uh make you know making all of those partnerships and because it's 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 not easy to uh right. work with so ma- so many partners from other NGOs to different countries to different governments i mean there's just so much uh there's just so much culture right. and just uh, red tape to get through and so your organization right. has been able to slowly and steadily piecemeal it together and make these you partnerships. You have to do which... that. You're so right, Angie. You have to work like that. Patience is not my middle name by any means, but you have to be patient. And, you know, I, I like to think now that these last, you know, three decades have been the building blocks, if you like, for the change now, because I think, you know, with, with you know, with dog eating, for example, without the fact that people are looking at dogs in a different way without the fact that doctor dogs are going into you know into hospitals and disabled centers without the fact that professor paws and you know going out into schools and things we wouldn't have maybe a more sympathetic public that are going wow dogs do all these amazing things you know and 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 just then having the understanding yeah they should be our friends and not food and and i have to say as well that you know that our method in this madness is is not just to stop at dogs and cats we need to look at our own dinner plates we need to look at our own habits of you know what we are doing to other species as well for our own gratification and i think reflect on how egregiously cruelly we are treating other species too and if we can look at dogs with the intelligence and uh, that they have you know and say well they're not really appropriate to be butchered and killed for food then we have to look on to other species that are equally intelligent and think 
uh oh, what are we doing? What are we doing? And what are we doing to this earth as well and this environment of ours? And just change our habits because if we don't, we are for sure seeing another pandemic waiting in the wings. This is not just about wild animals. This is about animals raised in agriculture with the raft of disease that comes out there as well. And we need to do things differently now. Absolutely. And that's where I I hope from this pandemic, of course, there's a lot of um, really sad and, and horrible things that are going on with it. But there, we have to, I think, as a whole, find the light and what we can learn from this and how we can do better. Uh, and And we'll have that opportunity, especially if we keep the conversation going, right? And like you mentioned, right. change change doesn't happen overnight. Although I am really uh, impressed with the immense behavioral modification that happened overnight as far as people staying home and people wearing masks and people uh, learning and loving their neighbors. And so it does give me hope for other collective changes and other behavior modifications than you as you mentioned, that whether we're looking at our dinner plate or we're looking at our oceans or right. our how we treat our animals that live in forests and those kinds of things. And so um, it leads me a little bit into the question I had about both sun and moon or Asiatic black bears. Their populations are, are vulnerable right now. Um, how does bear bile farming is it impacting the wild bears at all or okay of course every evidence leads to that you know the the animals that we've rescued um the you know the in in both china and vietnam um you know they they're, they're very often missing limbs you know as a result of being caught in the wild in leg hole traps you know the farm you know the bears are, are dying on these farms so they're being supplemented by the bears from the wild and it's not just of course in asia but uh, you know across the world where bears exist you know so in the usa for example you hear from you know um wildlife enforcement officers that are saying they find the whole carcass of the bear um missing just one thing the gallbladder you know because it has a value so, you know, again, I think that this is unconscionable, you know, to think about when you do have herbs and synthetics that can take the job of bear bile just as simply and just as easily. Um, and that, you know, we've, we've just got to look at this again as, a, as not just a domestic problem, but a worldwide problem, too. Absolutely. Absolutely. And with Animals Asia, how has your organization been impacted by COVID-19? Oh, gosh. Um, Well, you know, in the beginning, it was obviously very, very difficult for us to, you know, be getting the supplies that we needed. Um, I mean, in China, especially, it was it was really tough. We couldn't get, you know, medications for the bears and, you know, um, masks and sanitation sanitizers for the staff and what we could get the prices were going through the roof so that was a really really difficult time things are obviously loosening up a little bit and we were able to get more and more things but you know again it's something that's affected the world and it's affected people's wallets in the world and things will never be the same again you know as an organization we've had to make cost cuts across the board and some very difficult cost cuts as well and we're all I have to say frankly very very frightened 
you know, about what the future will hold. Because, you know, one of the main things this year, we were, we had such great plans for ending bear farming in Vietnam to abide by our promise with the Vietnam government. But we're having to sort of, we think, you know, put a lot of those programs on hold until next year now, which is catastrophic, you know, because once we can end bear farming in Vietnam, we can, you know, show... I think, you know, a, a model, if you like, for ending it in other countries um, by working constructively with the government and with the bear farmers so that no one loses face, no one loses out, everybody wins in this program. And we can sort of, as I say, be a model for how you do in practices like this across the world. So it's it's affected us badly, as, as everyone else, it's affected badly as well, um, Angie. And, and I just hope that, I, I you know, I just hope that we can get on with the job for which we were founded and get back cracking on on the work in Vietnam because we we're just you know desperate 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 because there's a you know there's 500 bears waiting to be rescued right and until we yeah. can raise the money to rescue them we can't do anything so well and, it, and that yeah. that's yeah well and that's where I know we have a lot of listeners and a lot of people are still at home um here in the US and the UK and uh, our friends in Australia and all over the world that are listening. So if someone is at home right now and they're wanting to know what they can do to help in the practice of bear bile farming and or to share or support the amazing work that you're doing at Animals Asia, what what can they do from their couch? Oh, please. I mean, just, just pop on to info at Animals Asia. Just send an email. Go onto our website, animalsasia.org. Have a look at, at, go on Facebook, you know, Instagram, Twitter. Go and have a look at all the amazing things that our team are doing across the world. Get in touch with our US director, the lovely Paula. She can be reached on America Queries at anima, animalsasia.org. Um, or again, just go on to info at, you know, all that stuff is on the website. We certainly need, you know, we need people people to commit monthly to us whatever amount whatever amount monthly because then it allows us to sort of project the future of our programs and be comfortable and safe and reassured that we can start to get these projects done so please please whatever you can afford I would say um, on a monthly basis get in touch with our team and and we'll help you and and just be part of this amazing amazing movement in Asia that is seeing um, doors opened and animal cruelty ended so many doors opening and so many amazing partnerships being built and so much progress. And yes, we don't want to see, we don't want there to be any steps backwards because of, of COVID-19. And, uh, and your website is beautiful. I have spent hours on it. Uh, I've watched your videos, read your blog. I highly recommend to anybody listening, um, please check it out. Also Facebook, you have a beautiful uh, profile on Facebook as well. And, and just get to read some of the stories about the bears or about the people that are dedicating their lives to ending the cruel practice of bear bile farming. And in, if you're like me, you'll be inspired. Like I, I, I immediately had to reach out to you and then it was great. As you mentioned, just reach out to somebody on their team and they will get back to you. And I mean, you, you guys responded very quickly to me and here we are uh, a few weeks later and just uh, le and learning and sharing. And the other thing too, I always say, if you, if you don't have a dollar a month to donate or five or whatever it is, we all have that aunt that can maybe afford it or a friend or sharing knowledge is so important because especially if you're listening probably in the U.S., you may have never heard about this practice. And so I think this is something 
that you should make your friends and family aware of. And education is powerful. And that's how we're going to help Jill and her amazing organization end uh, cruelty to animals in Asia in general. And um, so we'll put all the links on our show notes and you can uh, check those out at your own free will. And hopefully you're as inspired as I am. I know it was just amazing. And there's also too, uh, I'll put a little bit of information on our show notes. Uh, We didn't really even get a chance to talk about it, but Jill, besides uh, her many accolades and awards, um, she is also part of a documentary called To the Moon and Back, which tells the story of her life and this incredible journey on screen that we've been talking about today. So that's another thing that you can do to help educate yourself is to download that movie and we'll put some information on our show notes as well. Or you can find if you it's on your website or if you Google it or YouTube it as well. So that's another way that you can um, learn more about Jill and her organization in bear bile farming in Asia. So now Jill, before I let you go, because you're just such a wealth of inspiration and wisdom and knowledge. So do you have any advice for someone that wants to get into the field of animal welfare? What would you, what steps would you encourage them to take? Oh, I guess the obvious ones is volunteer. You know, when I, when I was a a kid, you know, I, I, I sort of met my dream by going out and volunteering at places and knowing then cementing what I wanted to do. And I just don't think that's any different now, except that there's so many more places to volunteer now. It's just a fantastic arena everywhere. Um, so get out there. I mean, we, we take volunteers, um, but only if they've got experience. So, you know, the, 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 the point is get experience out there and, um, and just become part of this amazing, amazing new, new movement, you know, because I think the world is changing drastically now. Now to recognize the importance of, of again living harmoniously with animals in, in society whether it be whether they're endangered domestic or wild and um and I'm, I'm excited for the future of animal welfare because i see the bright eyes of volunteers now coming to our sanctuary and and leaving with that wow moment <laughs> absolutely well and even um at the university where i studied in graduate school here in florida we now have welfare professors like right that have joined right. the team of animal scientists and, and and there's accredited meetings and there's amazing science being done about domestic animal welfare that are improving right. their conditions and and then helping uh push the government to raise standards and yeah, as you mentioned it it's really it's 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 really hopeful and exciting and i i i look forward to more improvements being made obviously on the exotic animal front or in bear bio farms, but also here at home with our domestics. Absolutely. Fantastic. So get out there kids and do it. <laughs> Make <laughs> us proud, right? Uh, well, Jill, it's been such a pleasure to meet you and uh, we'll have to keep this conversation going. I want to check back in with you in some time and, and see about uh, how all of your initiatives, how they've been working out. And uh, for our listeners out there, please go to www.animalsasia.com. Org, um, and or our show notes at allcreaturespodcast.com to learn more about Jill Robinson and her fantastic uh, organization called Animals Asia that are ending bear bile farming as we speak. So thank you, Jill. And she, thank you so good- much. 
Yes, it's been a pleasure getting to know you. And I'm going to keep checking your job board too. So uh, <laughs> you, never, you never know. I might come be a part of your team. It uh, it's just cool. sounds like a, a wonderful place to be. Cool, Angie. Thank you. It's been lovely talking with you. Real pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. Take care. Bye.